This is The Game Show with Max Sussman, brought to you by The Gaming Stadium, Canada's leader in esports. Welcome to The Game Show, presented by The Gaming Stadium on Sportsnet 650. I'm your host, Max Sussman, and today we're talking Magic the Gathering, and probably more than that, with Monty Davuti, a.k.a. Zapgaze, right now on The Game Show on Sportsnet 650. He is a Magic the Gathering reporter slash broadcaster, the special events manager at The Gaming Stadium, a competitive magic player himself as well. He is Monty Davuti, aka Zapgaze. Monty, thanks for joining me here again on the game show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So it's been, I don't know, like six, seven months since I last had you on. What do you what are you playing these days for fun? Just to fill time. Uh I've actually been playing a decent amount of Fall Guys again. Uh, oh. it's it's a really nice way to kill time and just kind of I enjoy platforming games, but I don't I haven't felt the urge to like start a new single player game. So when I've got like some time to kill either between work or between playing magic as you know, semi work to try to just stay on top of things, it, I'm just looking for something to fire up and usually the answer is either Hearthstone Battlegrounds or Fall Guys. Just something that I can you know, play for a bit without needing a time commitment for. And they've made a bunch of changes to Fall Guys this season. I booted it up randomly the other night and was uh, very confused. Yeah, I mean, Season 4 just came out. They released, like, eight new maps or something with it, so there's a bunch of new content. And it, I, I think it's cool that, considering the game is you know, a single time payment. There's no real investment after that. They're continuing to release new content for it a, almost a year out now and no signs of slowing down so far, which, you know, I, I think it makes sense. The game kind of relies on the idea of uh, players needing fresh content to play, but it does raise the question of, will they stop at some point? Will there be a Fall Guys 2? What, what their game plan as a company is? I'm super curious, yeah. Or or do they just start charging for the for the seasons pass, which is a tried right. and true method of tried and true method of games as a service. Let's get into magic though, because uh, as much as I w- I should do an hour on Fall Guys, I never have. We should probably should do that eventually. Um, now just t- to refresh myself before we started, I went back through Zapgay's magic results, and it looks like they stopped like April of 2020. Is that correct? That's about correct. Um, I haven't really played uh, competitive events that much since I play something every now and then. I had a pretty good weekend a few weeks ago where uh, I won the uh, the weekend qualifier for one of the events um, in the MTG Arena client. So I am invited to a future event at some point, though it really depends on how I can make it work within my commentary schedule. Um but I don't compete that much anymore just between full-time work at TGS and the weekends where I do have off doing some commentary. There just isn't that much time to actually compete anymore. So it's not a, it's not like a COVID thing. It's an availability thing. 
Yeah, there, there's plenty of events online right now that still, uh, you know, make it possible to compete. Uh, competitive Magic certainly has not stopped with COVID. It's just taken a different form. For me, that's not a big deal. I've always enjoyed online Magic. I know uh, there are a fair bit of people that have always really prioritized the gathering part of Magic rather than the Magic right. part of it. So when you take that away and move things to online out of necessity rather than out of choice, uh, a lot of people don't really get what they wanted or what they're used to getting out of Magic from that experience. So it, it can be quite tough. But for me, it, it's been more or less the same. It's been, I get to play online Magic as I've always enjoyed it. I was an online grinder for a long time and uh, nothing really changed other than I've been working from home, so I'm just significantly more busy anyways. Have you noticed by any chance like more support for Arena during COVID with just magic in general going more online? Support oh, from yeah. the developers. Uh from the developers, uh, I wouldn't say particularly more so. There's certainly the there's more tournaments available from other parties that are being supported by the developers, mm -hmm. just with invites, with uh, additional prizes and sponsorships added to them. But I wouldn't say there's particularly more support coming. Uh, but a lot of game stores and a lot of organizers that previously hosted events like Star City Games it, have kind of jumped into this online pool just because it, you know they were event organizers in addition to being stores and they want to continue running those events. So it makes a lot of sense that they've kind of stepped into this ring and started hosting online events in the time where they can't really do anything otherwise. This occurred to me, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, yesterday, I went and dropped off some groceries at our mutual friend Daniel's Airbnb, where he's quarantining, having just moved here. Um, and I passed the storefront that was closed, that was just like uh, it was like Magic: The Gathering was just all that was said, all that was there on the on the on the door. It occurred to me that I that a lot of places like that may be really struggling this year. Um, besides Star City Games, is, is have you noticed like a like a, a rush of these? They're just they're stores, they're game stores essentially, but they'll host you know Magic event. You know you can you can paint your Warhammer figurines there or whatever. Have you noticed those businesses like bopping online a lot more lately and just running, just becoming like almost esports organizers just to get something going? Not really. It's, it, it's tough. I think everybody knew that uh, local game and hobby stores that really relied on uh, in-person business uh, got hit pretty hard by the pandemic. Um, Everybody's adjusted to it in different ways. Hey, I would say that not many have been able to transition to events, transition their events to primarily online, just because it's not easy. You don't typically have the staffing at a local game store to run that sort of thing. And even if you do, a lot of your employees may not be um, proficient in the same skills that uh, it goes into running a tournament online as they are used to running tournaments locally. Um, I think something that does help them a lot is there's still product being printed. There's still new sets coming out. There's still board games. So there's still things for stores to sell. And I know that there's at least 
you know, there, there's a loyalty factor. There's a lot of people that are still trying their best to support their local stores and find themselves some entertainment during this pandemic. But, you know, the aspect of camaraderie of going to the store and kind of hanging out and competing in tournaments just isn't really there anymore, save for a few places that may be ignoring pandemic orders and kind of trying to operate outside <laughs> of it. And, you know, I, it, it sucks. I, I wish I could say I can't fault them, but at the same time, it, it's it's a lesser of two evils thing where it, you're at risk of losing your business, but also public health and safety. And it, it, it's just all very unfortunate. Let's talk. Let's talk the about the coverage you've been doing recently. We're talking to Monty Davuti here on the game show in Sportsnet 650. Um, now I don't remember. I mean, it's not in my notes from the last time you were on, and so maybe it came up kind of organically. But I don't remember us talking about this. So maybe you were doing it already, and it just didn't come up. But um, you've been you've kind of joined the official the official Magic Twitch, uh, you know broadcast booth you've been writing analysis slash breakdown type articles at magic.gg um were you doing the stuff when we talked and i just missed it that I, I screw up six months ago uh yeah that sounds like a you problem <laughs> <laughs> i uh i've i've been uh you know i've been doing events and writing some articles for the um official magic team since about june of last year so uh okay just coming up on 10 months now so it's been a while and you know i i'm really appreciative i it's kind of amazing and still surreal for me to get to be um involved in any official capacity with uh magic professional play and magic broadcast but you know, still going strong, and I'm very grateful for it, as it has just been the most incredible opportunity, and it really feels like it has kind of upped my skills and capabilities as uh, a commentator. As as like a kid who grew up playing Magic, as I'm just me, that's an assumption. I'm just assuming you grew up playing Magic. Um, how do you how did how did this how did that gig come about? Like, what was where was the connection made? How did you get in? In on the in into the official magic broadcast like that, uh, you know, like most things where there's a lot of people that would like to do it and very few people who get to do it. It's a large part of just luck, being in the right place at the right time, and maybe knowing the right person. Um, when the pandemic hit and events started moving online, uh, there was a series of tournaments being run by. Channel Fireball, one of the most uh, prominent uh, tournament organizers, and it was called the Magic Fest Online. It was the essential equivalent of Grand Prix moving online, and they were doing this really cool thing where they were doing round-the-clock coverage of the qualifiers. So they were running like six qualifiers a day, and 24-7, they just had... uh, a stream running on Twitch with different commentary teams being swapped in every four or six hours i really don't know at this point i, I think every four hours that's and, long that's, a, it's still a long time to be on for oh yeah it, it was insane but it was awesome right this there was suddenly like it, it, in a pretty dark time like this was the start of the pandemic this was last march april uh in a time where 
nobody really knew what was happening. Nobody knew how long to expect things to be down for and everything just kind of being in the state of an unknown gray area. uh, Here was this you know, this bright light, there was just magic all the time, competitive magic to watch, to play and to participate. And it was awesome. And something I noticed was they were doing, um, they were having just members of the community, different professional players, different players that wrote for Channel Fireball and different streamers uh, doing commentary blocks. It didn't seem like there was what used to be like, you know, this is the broadcast team. Um, that order wasn't there just because this was something new. This was something unexpected. And the need for commentators to keep a 24-7 stream going was much Mm. higher than uh, had been in the past. So suddenly this seemed like there was more spots available. So I had a friend who was uh, a member of Team Child Fireball and one of the writers for the site. And I messaged him asking if he knew uh, who the person kind of in charge of the decisions for um, selecting the broadcast talent was and whether it's possible they could connect me with them. Um, I got an email, I sent it off, and you know I was told that I would hear back uh, when they had an opening or if they had an opening. And that was kind of it. I wasn't sure if I would get a position or not, but you know I was hopeful. And then my sleep schedule being the garbage that it was a couple of weeks later, <laughs> uh, I received a message at 3.30 in the morning from the friend who I had reached out to originally. And he was scheduled to do the broadcast starting at 4 a.m. that day. But his broadcast partner had just messaged in that they were sick. So he was like, hey, do you want a shot at doing commentary? Uh, and I'm like, when? And he's like, now. So it's like three thirty in the morning. I'm, you know, I'm not half asleep, but hey, I'm I'm in a relaxed state. State, and suddenly it's like <laughs> this. This is your chance. I'm like, okay, yeah. So I did it. It seemed to go okay, and then I got a few more um, positions doing that for the remainder of the uh, Channel Fireball tournaments. Then when uh, a couple months later in June, when Channel Fireball was doing the staffing uh, for some of the online players tours, uh, they reached out and asked me if I was uh, available and interested in doing a position for that. And of course, I said yes. That led to me kind of getting a connection to the team at Wizards because that was an official Wizards event, even though it was done by Channel Fireball. And they asked me if I was interested in doing a trial position for an event. And of course I said yes. And things just kind of went from there. Just, you know, a series of insane coincidences and just getting a good word put in by the right person at the right time and being available and things snowballing. Now, I don't know enough about Magic the Gathering to identify what would make for a good Magic the Gathering commentator. I will admit that. But I know about broadcasting, and that's like a pretty quick trajectory from, you know, asking, hey, does it? do you know who can hook me up with somebody that might make, be able to let me try broadcasting to trying broadcasting to doing official magic events, you know, for wizards. Um, So that tells me you're good without being able to really identify what good means in this context. (laughs) What, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I, the trajectory says you're good to me. 
somebody sees yeah, you, sees you fair and enough. is like, this guy's good. You know, let's bring him on. Right. Um, what do you think makes a good magic commentator? What do you go for? What's your goal when you turn the mic on every, every broadcast? I, I think everybody has their different styles. Everyone has, uh, you know, everyone has something different that they're looking to get out of broadcasts, which is why it's so interesting because as a commentator, you're never going to appeal to everybody, right? There, There's the more casual players that are looking for somebody that is more animated and entertaining. There's the more enfranchised players that are looking for somebody knowledgeable. So as a broadcaster, you're never going to be, uh, you're never going to be the person that appeals to everybody watching the broadcast. So you kind of have to ask yourself, well, who am I appealing to? And for me, I, I always wanted to be the broadcaster that appealed to myself, appealed to mm. the people that fit into my demographic, which are the competitive players that enjoy watching the broadcast for the love of the game. They want to see the highest level of magic played. And for them, it's not about the flash of the show. It, it's not about anything other than the magic. The magic is everything, right? And that was who I what I always wanted to see in broadcast and what I always aspired to bring to a broadcast uh, if I ever got the shot. I wanted to focus on the magic. So when I get ready for a broadcast and my style in doing the broadcast is really just try to break down the magic in a way that everybody watching from the casual player that doesn't really know what's going on to the most enfranchised player that is just watching in between rounds. Everybody watching can get something out of it, whether it's the recognition of they're watching players that know what they're doing, whether it's learning something new because they see something happen on screen, but they're not quite sure why it happened. Those are the type of moments that I want to add to a broadcast and if i can do that i will feel like i've succeeded in uh in my goal for the weekend or for the day or for whatever the job is mm-hmm. we're talking to monty davuti aka Zapgaze, here on the game show on sportsnet 650 one of the things that's always and we'll, we're going to come back to this in a little bit but one of the things that's always kind of been daunting to me about magic is just how many things there are right there's so many decks there's way more cards there's so many different ways you can play the game there's infinite permutations and there's metagames within metagames and there's a million different metagames how do you prepare yourself for a broadcast with so many just moving parts to be aware of in this game like the playing field doesn't always necessarily look the same it, it it's hard right there's yeah like you that's said, there's, i imagine <laughs> there's way more in a format than you will ever be able to completely prepare for uh my personal favorite thing my method that i really enjoy is just watching other people play magic um anytime i'm in a preparation state uh whether it's like a week before the tournament or uh, whatever i i may be preparing for um typically i have my full-time job uh on one screen and then i just have two to three magic streams of different players uh ideally players that are you know preparing for the tournament or higher caliber just playing in the background so i can 
be watching and glancing over and just at least listening to one player talking about their thought process with the deck, seeing different preparations and, you know, just trying to pick up on what I can from different sources. And that at least gives me an amplified sample size of information compared to what I would be able to get just playing on my own. Something that I've actually been um, doing recently for shows is I, I've asked um, some players that are playing in the tournaments whether they wouldn't mind me sitting in on their testing process. So typically mm. uh, for these events, team players can kind of break off into testing teams just because of the efficiency of preparing with a group. And it, there are teams that have discourse and that sort of thing, which are just private for their testing. And I, I've asked if it's possible for me to just kind of sit in on that and observe as they discuss their preparation for the event. And by getting a look into the thought process and preparation of those teams, I get a player's view of the event and what they expect to see. And that gives yeah. me more to work with. That's, I mean, that's pretty common in, in traditional sports, right? You hear Monday Night Football commentary teams always talking about the meetings they had with the coaches in the week leading up to it and stuff like that. You don't see a ton of that in esports, and I would like to see more. Casters being allowed to sit in on scrims. I like it. Uh, you've obviously, as you said, you casted before. You moved over to actually doing the official the official wizard stuff. But, you know, dropping into the booth on a broadcast like that is different. Um, you've done a handful of them now, I think, right? One or two, something like that? Yeah. How how, I, I how do you think, feel it's going? How, how did on that scale it's it just feels different, I know. How did it go? It does. It it, it feels it, it's you know, it's daunting because you are representing uh, at least for a short amount of time the highest level of play of the game. And you know, it you need to make the show enjoyable for people watching. So there's a lot of pressure that goes into it. And, you know, it, it still takes some doing for me to just kind of remind, like at least try to like remove myself from the moment and just treat it like any other event and just have, you know, some faith in, I know at least somewhat what I'm doing and just try to do the best I can without thinking about the stakes of the event. And, you know, it's just, it's just another event in the booth. And, I, you know, it's the same mindset that goes into competing, I think, where if you let the stakes of the tournament you're playing in uh, weigh too heavily on your mind, that is going to distract from the game. And I think you you hear athletes talk about this, you hear uh, esports players talk about this. When you're playing in the moment, it's just another game. Nothing outside of it, the stakes, nothing matters. It's just play the game that you're currently playing and everything else is secondary. And I feel like the same applies to broadcasting. Just treat it like, you know, any, I mean, yeah, if you're, I've always felt if you're not, uh, if you're not nervous a little bit, you probably don't care enough about what you're about to go do. If it's something that's daunting, uh, otherwise just, you know, treat it like a job. It helps. It helps exactly. when it becomes your job. Are you ready for you ready for a super uh, super professional radio tease before we go into the break? Ready? Here we go. After the break, Monty Davuti, aka Zapgaze, is going to tell us how he definitely ruined a keyboard and nearly ruined a broadcast before it started on the game <laughs> show presented by the Gaming Stadium on Sportsnet 650. <laughs>
You scrim, you play, you win at the Gaming Stadium, Canada's first esports arena and Canada's leader in online esports tournaments. The only place to play in local tournaments for whatever game you're great at. Online tournaments all week long with all your favorite games like Fortnite, Call of Duty, Valorant, TFT, Rocket League, and more at Canada's leader in esports. Visit thegamingstadium.com for more information. Welcome back to The Game Show with Max Sussman. Brought to you by The Gaming Stadium, Canada's leader in esports. Welcome back to The Game Show presented by The Gaming Stadium. Let's hop right back into my chat with Monty Davuti, a.k.a. Zapgaze, on Sportsnet 650. All right, so tell me exactly what happened to your keyboard right before that that stream a few weeks ago. Okay, so I'm, you know, we're about a minute from me being on camera, and I've got my mug of coffee, as I do, because it's a morning, and I'm not a morning person because my sleep schedule. Um, So just like seconds before going live, uh, I go for... You know, there's some nerves, so I go for a panic drink of coffee. But rather than grab the mug from the handle, as I normally tend to do, I just <laughs> grabbed it from. I, I grabbed it from the body, uh, and unfortunately, my cup cup of iced coffee, as it were, a uh, little uh, little perspiration on the sides, just condensation, uh, and just you know, not the smoothest grip on it, as it were. Uh, <laughs> And keep in mind, I had just refilled this mug. This wasn't like a half full (laughs) mug of coffee. This was a completely full to the brim mug of iced coffee. And I just grab it from the side. It slips from my hand and it just spills everywhere. Like this is on my keyboard. This is on my desk. This is on the front of my PC, which is stained forever, by the way. Uh, It's on the floor. It's on the power bar. It's on everything. Uh, It's on me. It's on my clothes. It's on everything. And I'm hearing in my ear, the producer say 20 seconds to you. And I'm just, I, I don't know what to do. I I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm covered in coffee. Everything is covered in coffee. I, I feel like my PC might explode at any time because it's covered in coffee. And I'm about to go live on a massive broadcast. And, it, you know, it's it's one of those things where I'm just like, all right, well, I'll deal with this after the round. I, I, I can't delay the broadcast. So I just kind of sit there in the coffee. We go live. I do, I do the round. And as soon as it's done, I just start scrambling around and cleaning did well you don't theoretically don't need your keyboard for the broadcast that could totally just break and you you know your computer would still be on and your mic would still work um was any, was nothing else affected uh my keyboard was the only thing that saw long-term damage uh my pc did not explode fortunately it looks like the coffee only spilled on kind of the front of it and not on the top or anywhere where it could kind of seep into the internal wiring, um, which was good. Uh, my power bar did not 
uh, short circuit. It looked like Incredible. the coffee, again, yeah, it did not trip. Uh, the coffee just kind of sat on and around it without actually seeping in. So it was a lot of luck that went into the only thing being affected in a serious manner was uh, the one thing I did not need for the broadcast at all and was also easily replaceable. Was this your first uh, event with them that this happened? No. So I've been working (laughs) with Wizards since... I think my first official event with them was July. Um, this was my second time in the uh, in the casting booth. Um, most of the events so far, I've been working on kind of the desk or like the panel, as it were. Uh, right. So this was the second time I was doing commentary. And, you know, a lot of it is the same where you have a set time where you're going live and uh, you have a segment. But the desk segments typically tend to be 15 to 20 minutes in length, whereas the boost segments are anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour of uh, being more or less on, except for a few ad breaks. So certainly the amount of time that I was faced with where I had to uh, worry about the computer exploding and sitting in a pile of coffee was much longer than it would be in other (laughs) events. That was like that's you know at once incredibly unlucky and very lucky, like at the at the exact same time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it worked out, which is okay. Uh, big shout out to our producer Jordan, uh, who actually was the hero of the weekend by bringing me a keyboard to my house from TGS after the or the middle of the broadcast that same day because that was the Friday of the event. I still had two more days to do and I did not have a keyboard. My my keyboard stopped functioning uh, and Jordan just drove out to my house to bring me a keyboard that day. Uh, so big shout outs to him as he really saved my weekend. We've talked about this uh, a bit earlier. You got, you know, your hands in a lot of stuff. You've, you're you're, you're doing all this stuff for Wizards. You're still working full-time at TGS, running events, which is you know, often a bit more than full-time because that's how events work. Um, how are you balancing all of this, Monty? I don't sleep uh, for the most part. I'm <laughs> primarily held together by coffee and uh, just a general lack of sleep. But other than that, you know, it, I, I'm not going to say my work-life balance is excellent right now but i think that's (laughs) part of the pandemic is when you're working from home and there's always things to do it's uh it's easy to kind of get lost in that Uh, you know i feel like i'm still managing somewhat fine and i don't the biggest thing is i don't really have anything else to do you're uh you're you're running magic the gathering events for tgs still as well what's uh what's like the local magic scene like these days after as you've mentioned lots of local you know in-person stuff just not happening anymore uh it's hard to say i think with us transitioning to um primarily online there's always this weird balance where with the pandemic, we can't really focus our events just to local anymore, which was the idea initially with TGS was we we were all local. And, you know, hopefully we will be again when we're actually able to um, 
when we're actually able to open up physically and resume business. But for the time being, it, everything is online and kind of the focus isn't just local anymore. It's casting a wider net and trying to bring events to everyone everywhere as much as we can so i still see familiar local faces playing in the tournaments that we run and i i know that there is vancouver magic representation in a lot of online events but you know it it's hard i don't think local really exists at the moment there's no definition Mm -hmm. of what local is anymore that's a perfect answer transition into my next question here with Monty Davuti on the game show on Sportsnet 650. Just to like reacquaint myself with a game I don't follow every you know week to week or really month to month even. I'll just like look at the the rankings before I do a show like this, and something that immediately jumps out, I think, to anybody who knows esports and looks at the Magic Pro League standings in the top ten. You've got. There's three Americans, but take those away, and you've got one player each from Brazil, France, the Czech Republic, Portugal, Italy, Japan, Spain, and then again, three Americans. This is one of the most diverse, both in terms of nationality and ethnicity, one of the most diverse top tens I've ever seen in any esports title. Why is Magic such an international game? Uh, There's a lot of reasons for it. I think part of it is just there's always been this focus on... um, international representation in magic there the idea of having localized qualifiers uh in local game stores rather than um rather than something like uh, online events uh at, at least in the past meant that you would always see um communities developing in local scenes and at every event you could expect to see at least this many people from brazil this many people from southeast asia this many people from china just because that is how things kind of developed at a minimum right that that mm-hmm. was what you were going to get from those scenes. And one, you have scenes developing, uh, things can only get better from there. So even now that we're in online, well, all the infrastructure is already being built. We have uh, full involvement in magic all over the world. And now it's even better for kind of the countries like Brazil, uh, like different parts of Europe where pri- Previously, they may not have had that many events they can go to in a year, uh, just the local things. Now the entire world is open to them. I know the latest tournament that I just ran for TGS this past week, our top eight was just incredibly diverse. Multiple players from Brazil, uh, some players from Poland, a player from Russia, uh, one player from the United States. So you're really seeing that... Previously, this infrastructure was built all over the world where there are players interested and actively invested in Magic. And now with online events, they get to really make themselves known. People that people may have never heard of before can put up events and really succeed at the game they love. Is there a traditionally dominant country or region, maybe even from before the online days in Magic? Uh, the United States just by, um, sheer volume of people, probably sheer volume of players and sheer volume of events has always just kind of had the most representation. But if I think about, um, non-American countries that I, I guess, despite the numbers or despite the odds really 
put up dominant uh, performances in the history of Magic. Uh, Japan is almost certainly number one uh, in terms of what I can think of. Part of it is just culture. Part of it is it's one of the countries that really most embraced the game and has just put up some of the most incredible and dominant players of all time, uh, which has always been something that I've really enjoyed following. after that, I would say France, Brazil, Germany have all really just put up some incredible players over the years. Some of the best players of all time, Kai Buda, uh, Paulo Vitor Dama de Rosa, Gabriel Nassif, all coming from those countries. And it, it's one of those things where when you have incredible players coming from a country, people who are local to that country and local to that scene kind of come up with them just because they Mm -hmm. have someone being represented from their scene, someone to look up to and someone that they may see around at a local game store from time to time that they can maybe get some pointers from. I know, for example, Willie Edel, uh, he's considered the godfather of Brazilian magic. And part of that is because he owns a shop and he has always... for a majority of his pro career, it hasn't been about him. It's about what he can do for the coming next generation of aspiring professional Brazilian players. And that's something that's always been true of Willie is uh, he wants to help the next group kind of have the same tools and abilities to succeed. And when you have people like that in local communities, and when you have people like that in these scenes, it tends to lead to these incredibly dominant countries because the old generation breeds the new generation, and it goes on and on and on, creating this chain of success. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's almost like the, uh, the, the effect of, of, Fury esports on Brazilian Counter Strike, just all you know, they had they were great, and then all of a sudden they're still great, and there's a bunch of really really good Brazilian Counter Strike teams. Um, we're we're running out of time, Monty, and I wanted to have some fun dumb ones at the end, as I always do. Um, but first, not to put your uh, not to put your information on Front Street, but this is publicly available. I found a site that lists the value of the decks you played in every tournament you've played in. Um, the you know how much it would cost to buy it, and I and okay. I thought it was interesting. A that the deck you used at DreamHack Anaheim was only four hundred fifty eight bucks, which is a little bit below average according to this website. And listeners, this does not mean Monty paid that much money for the deck. It might I don't know. Um, it was a little bit below average, but you used that four hundred fifty eight dollar deck to win a fifteen thousand dollar prize at DreamHack Anaheim, according to again esports earning lists and stuff like that um first of all props good investment if you did spend 450 dollars to win fifteen thousand. Second of all what does value even mean here what are we talking about what is that 458 dollars uh that is you know mostly nonsense just because i figured that is essentially <laughs> that's telling you what the deck would cost to buy from a medium price website in paper. Now for DreamHack Anaheim, for example, I was playing on Magic Arena um, where everything is kind of the entire economics model is through wild cards and uh, gems and crafting and kind of the freemium model that many games follow. So mm-hmm. it, there, there was, uh, in my specific case, I was 
a free-to-play player. I'd spent no money. So my investment in that event was purely my travel costs uh, and nothing else. So that price, you know, while it does apply to the deck and paper, it's not actually directly responding to the event that I played in, for example. Yeah. I'm looking through that and I'm like, there's no way Monty's spending $950 on a deck. Get out of here. What is this website? Um, (laughs) It may be on all of your decks. I don't know. Uh, Before we get out of here, I know you're a, a, I know you like musicals and live music in general, but musicals, what is then, given that you've actually seen them on Broadway, what's your favorite on Broadway musical you've seen? Uh, Probably Hamilton uh, was, you know, it it was one of those things where it it just built up for me for so long and getting to finally see it meant a lot, but it also just delivered. I absolutely would not say that it was overhyped. I enjoyed it a lot, but if I want to give like a less uh, cliche answer, (laughs) a less obvious one. Yeah, I think one of the musicals I actually enjoyed the most that I saw on Broadway, um, or at least uh, one of them was An American in Paris, which was like uh, the musical of like the old Gershwin musical, uh, which Mm. is very much like primarily focused on the dance and music and less on talking. And that was just wonderful. And also Groundhog Day, the musical, which is like a dark horse answer. It was really well done. It had an incredible (laughs) book written by Tim Menchin and just uh, really, really well done musicals. I think that might be my like dark horse answer. I've seen a handful. I've been going to New York City all my life because my mom is from uh, the Bronx, but uh, and I've I've seen maybe six musicals on Broadway. Yet and still, my favorite musical theater experience ever was before it opened on Broadway, the original cast of Wicked did a test run in San Francisco, and I somehow got to see that. Somehow, I was like 11. I did not appreciate it for what it was at the time. (laughs) I didn't know the the historical nature of what I was seeing, right? But, you know, if if you've ever seen that musical, like, special effects-wise, it's kind of mind-blowing what they can make happen directly in front of your eyes, Uh, and that, that remains my favorite. But I consider it as close to being on Broadway as possible, because it's the same. It's Zena Menzel, it's Christian Chenoweth, it's the same cast, um, and it's the same stage. They brought the stage to San Francisco and rebuilt it. All the crazy rail tracks they've got going on on that one. Before we get out of here, five minutes left, uh, maybe a minute per card, let's say. I can't believe I've never asked you this before. Give me your top five Magic the Gathering cards of all time for any reason. Your favorite ones to put in a deck, coolest art, hilarious name five cards that like give me your mount rushmore of of magic cards okay this is gonna be really hard because i i know i know it is (laughs) oh man there's so many um number one this is not in any particular order number one cryptic command uh this is the card that i the very first booster pack of magic the gathering i opened had two copies of this card in it a foil one and a non-foil one i didn't even understand why it was so good at the time but it was like the most expensive card in the set and my friends were all freaking out and i just did not understand why and you know after years of playing with it 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 has that moment of just being my number one uh just really really just uh meant so much to me uh number two will have to be uh bitter blossom that was the card i won my first ptq with uh after a lot of work trying to get on the pro tour um this was the card that finally did it uh in a tournament where 
and nobody really expected the deck to do well. I decided to play it anyways, and uh, it worked out for me. It got me the win, and you know, it really continued my interest in competitive magic. Number three, uh, Mox Opal. Uh, my biggest magic result to date was my Grand Prix victory uh, with Affinity, and that was off the back of what I consider to be one of the most broken cards in Modern for a long time before it finally got rightfully banned, Mox Opal. Uh, so, you know, will always hold a special place in my heart. Number four, Fires of Invention. Uh, it's a card that... You know, I played it in my deck for um, Dreamhack Anaheim. It was, it stands out to me as perhaps the most fun tournament I've ever played because it was the grand culmination of everything I love about magic. It was digital magic rather than paper magic, which is something as an online grinder I've always enjoyed. But it was also local, it was a physical event played with digital magic so i got to get the best of both worlds i got to see my friends while playing online magic which is just you know that for me at the time that was the dream that was the perfect tournament if you asked me to like tell you what my dream tournament would be that would be it uh and number five nexus of fate everybody hates this card it made a lot of people miserable for a very long time but for me that was the card that kind of in my big uh you know, being semi-retired from Magic and kind of not really finding any decks that interested me, not really finding anything uh, that ignited my passions for Magic, along came this card to just kind of hit all the notes of what I enjoy in a game of Magic and what I want to be doing. And that card got me to play in some events. That card qualified me for two Pro Tours. That card kind of just did it all for getting me back to uh, the amount of interest I have in Magic that puts me here now and kind of led to everything over the past two, three years now. Now, either you've five. been asked that, either you've been asked that before, or you have like an internal list of ten or so cards that are always at the front of mind. Which one is it? I, uh, I've never been asked that, and you know, I think. Anytime I get asked that question, the answer may change. That was the first time I've been asked, but I just kind of ran through. Okay, if I try to uh, break down my magic life from start to finish <laughs> uh, up to this point and ignore every other factor because it's such a hard question to answer. Otherwise, what are the five cards that define my career? And from 2008, when I started playing to now, those are probably the five most definitive cards uh, that highlight my magic career. Um. What what was the what was the card that you had you got doubles of in your first de- in your first pack? What was that? Which one was that? Cryptic command. Yeah, are you still using that in play? Uh, I don't like have that- those physical cards anymore. Uh, I I I sold them a long time ago because I opened them when I was seventeen and they were something like fifty and a hundred dollars at the time and I was completely broke. Yeah. But uh, you know, I still play with them in cube. I still, you know. It still means uh, a lot to me whenever I see that card because it reminds me that that was the first pack I ever opened of Magic. Yeah, that's that's my. I mean, I never played the actual card game, but I was the I was the most popular kid in middle school for a week when I opened a foil back Charizard back in the day, <laughs> and totally mishandled it because I was eleven years old. But I will yeah, I mean, always I, I will always love story. Charizard. <laughs> I will always love Charizard because of that. Uh, that's yeah. all the time we have, Monty. Before we hop up out of here, let the people know 
A, where they can find you broadcasting next, like where they can next watch you, B, where they can connect with you on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, blah, 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 wherever you want to connect with people. Uh, Twitter, you can find me at uh, twitter.com slash sapgates. I will usually be tweeting when I'm going live with a broadcast or something. You can also uh, find me running events for the Gaming Stadium at Gaming Stadium CS uh, as the special events manager. Uh, pretty much everything that is being planned or worked on, I have a, a minor to major level of involvement in, so I uh, would love to have anybody listening to come play in some events and just find out what we're all about and have a good time. Uh, uh, for my next broadcast, you can find me this weekend on twitch.tv slash magic, uh, where I'll be doing commentary for the Strixhaven League weekend, the first of three, uh, which should be pretty incredible as there's some really high stakes for this one. And, you know, just going to be a good time. Monty Davuti, a.k.a. Zapke's magic caster, reporter, player, all-around magic guy. Thanks for joining me again on the game show. Thanks, Max. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks to Mani for joining me. Thanks to Jordan for recording. And thanks to Connor for helping me set that up. Thanks to the Gaming Stadium for sponsoring the show. As always, head to thegamingstadium.com to find out all the events and information you will ever need to know about them. Sign up for a tournament that Mani's running and uh, give him hell for me on my behalf. Uh, I'm Max Sussman. Thank you for listening. You can find me on Twitter at TrueLeafyMax and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Max Until next time, whatever you do, don't tilt.